0: Welcome everyone here as always a little bit uh, out of sync this week because we're going to be traveling the latter half of the week. So we are coming into you on Monday with Dr. Kelly Victory and you all know Kelly, she'll be here to discuss Pam Popper with me today. Pam, I'm going to give you her particulars, is the Executive Director of Wellness Forum Health, uh, providing education, video lifestyle intervention. Her newest book is COVID Operation, What Happened, Why It Happened, and What's Next?, which she co-authored with Shane Pryor. You can follow her at drpampopper.com. So I'm interested in what her theory is. Uh, A lot of wild new information flying around all the time. I don't know if you guys saw it today, but the Justice Department took action against Chinese operatives that were extraordinarily active in this country. And you wonder to what extent some of the misinformation that's been flying around lately um, has been influenced by some of these same operations. Hard hard to know, I, I don't have an opinion, it's an interesting thing to think about, so let's get right to it. Our laws as it pertain to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous. <laughs> I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake, where the hell you think I learned that?
2: All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
0: Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st,
2: 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
0: And we're here, of course, following your comments out on the restream. I'm seeing you all there as well as over on the Rumble Rants uh susan is in the house today she was out last week everything cool with you good yeah good Mm -hmm. i i know you're upset about susan is um wakes up every day worrying about many of the things we talk about here on this show i've noticed you're you're more of a you're more in kelly's camp even than i am i am (laughs) yeah you are and uh it's it's a it's a lot of noise it's hard to know what's going on we are seeing myocarditis, we are seeing stupor arrhythmias. On Thursday, I have an interview with Asim Walhatra, who is the doctor that you've heard about from the UK that everyone's chatting about and, and condemning for daring to speak up, how dare he. Uh, but Thursday, a, how are you doing Thursday, that? Thursday, the podcast, the Dr. Drew podcast. Oh,
2: okay, Up have to tell where that it's
0: will, gonna be. That will be here, will it not be, at drdrew.com, is that right? Yeah, we're. you're gonna be
1: traveling though, right? Right,
0: but it will be here at drdrew.com. Yes. Yes.
1: All okay. links are available. So in. that's
0: where you can find it. But I do recommend that interview. It was very interesting. I, I've been wanting to get an in-depth point of view from a cardiologist for quite some time. And he confirmed many of the things that Kelly and I had been worrying about, that we seem to be seeing more supraventricular arrhythmias, more atrial fibrillation. We're wondering about this sudden death issue. I mean, Kelly obviously thinks we're definitely seeing it. I more in the sort of um, Dr. Vinay Prasad camp where we need to really nail down the data so we can see what's going on. But it's it's certainly worrisome. And the I, I'm sort of in the Dr. John Campbell's uh, uh, category in the sense that he just keeps asking, why is this not an emergency to collect the data? And that is my question, whether it is around pregnancy, around uh, childbirth, uh, as we we had discussed uh, with with an obstetrician here, whether it is around cardiological issues, whether it is around uh, immune function, generally, and carcinogenicity, and or other sorts of inability, you know, other sorts of downstream health effects. This should be a massive priority, and really, it seems like the only priority is continuing to push younger people, younger people all the time. Like now, we're down into the childhood vaccines to get these vaccines. We're in the vaccine uberalis world where vaccines are the one and only answer at all age groups. And the, the just to kind of review my own position, I use it regularly in the elderly population. It's clear what I'm doing over age 75 with it. I think I know what I'm doing over age 65. I don't know what I'm doing under 50. Uh, that would work on that with a patient to determine whether or not some, a given particular individual uh, risk reward is worth it. But uh, I just don't have the data. I don't know exactly what I'm doing. And just like I wouldn't give a shingles vaccine to a nine-year-old, I wouldn't give a Prevnar vaccine to a 26-year-old, I wouldn't give yellow fever vaccine to somebody who's not traveling to sub-Saharan Africa. Vaccines have, have uh, appropriate populations for optimal utility, optimal benefit, and minimizing the adverse events or making the adverse events at least worth the risk, again, worth the risk. Now, I keep wondering, am I missing something? Am I missing something in that risk-reward analysis that our government is doing or that they know that I don't know? Uh, I don't get it, I don't see the risk-reward. All I just keep hearing is people minimizing making otherwise healthy people sick because it's a relatively low number, but not really understanding that the risk to the individuals of the illness which we're trying to protect them from is very remote so let me get to my guest pam popper Uh, as i mentioned she is the founder and executive director of wellness forum health Uh, pam popper wrote her book COVID operation what happens what happened why it happened and what is next all things i'm very interested in please welcome pam popper
1: thank you you happy to be here and thank you for inviting me
0: so let's, let's just start with the title of the book. Can, can you sketch for me what happened?
1: Yeah. Well, this is the biggest episode of medical tyranny in the history of the world, and it's not the first. This, is, this has been escalating for a long time, and I'm actually writing another book right now, and the focus of the book is going to be not how could this happen, but why didn't it happen sooner, because we've been heading in this direction for a long time this partnership between medicine and the FDA and government and, um, and public health has been a disastrous thing. We've just seen a bigger version of it here. And I think that what happened in 2020 was the collision of a lot of things that have been going the wrong direction. Education, for one thing, we're turning out idiots mm. from our educational institutions. The media is, has been controlled and more and more controlled over a period of time. That was going in the wrong direction government completely out of control medicine completely out of control and you put all that into the same pot and again it's a wonder that this didn't happen sooner and it was also not so, the first fake pandemic there have been others so oh
0: my listen i that's what that's how this pandemic started for me i was saying look we just had one we had h1n1 killed three hundred thousand mm-hmm. people i got it it was worse than COVID. it was terrible and i just kept saying you don't even know it happened you don't know it happened you're going from a pandemic that killed 300,000 people to one that may kill a few million and you've gone from n- not not awareness to complete destruction of of children's development and economies and hunger and it I just was the 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 lack of any incremental response was the first thing that caught my attention but I but I agree with you. Let, let's kind of drill into some of those issues. Education first and foremost. I, I sort of, to simplify the educational shortcomings, two things that jump out at me. Younger physician peers do not seem to be trained in problem solving. They're not careful thinkers as far as I can tell. They're trained in following clinical pathways, unless they're surgeons. The surgeons are trained to solve problems in the surgical field. And I noticed the surgeons be- behaved very differently during the pandemic, which was kind of interesting right at the beginning. They, were, they wanted to try things. They wanted to solve problems. Uh, you know, they were yelled down, of course. So one, so one part is you know lack of critical thinking. The second is what I've seen on the public health side, which is lack of any clinical training, people that have no medical background and who are trained not in equity, equitable distribution of resources, but in equity of outcome. And those two things by themselves are very, very dangerous. Do you, do you agree with those two, and are there others?
1: I agree with those two, and there are others. Um, there are huge problems in medical training, and I have to point this out. Hitler could not have done what he did without the cooperation of the medical profession in Germany. Um, and public health could not have done what it did here, and government agencies were it not for the cooperation of doctors. And I've been talking about this for a long time we've got to do something about medical education because I think people go into medicine because they have a a real desire to help people, but somehow that gets very corrupted and that's not what ends up happening. And so that's a big issue. medical Who we're letting into medical school and how we're training people and how they get institutionalized. And I think there's another problem too. And you mentioned critical thinking, and I'll take that just one step further. I just read John Abramson's book called Sickening, which i thought I was a subject expert on the misbehavior of drug companies. I've written a lot about it before COVID ever happened. Um, But I learned a lot of new things in that book. And one of them is that so much of what's in the medical literature that doctors are relying on for making decisions about patients is controlled by drug companies. Nobody sees the raw data. Uh, The FDA doesn't see the raw data. The peer reviewers often don't see the raw data even when the articles are clearly proven to be false, the journals won't retract them because they make millions, tens of millions of dollars every year on reprints. And, um, and so they're not about to retract an article that Merck or Pfizer or one of these drug companies might spend a half a million to a million dollars buying in reprint form to give to doctors, for drug reps to give to doctors. So what doctors are learning both in medical school And once they get out of medical school, leads them horribly astray, and most of them are not even aware of it. They are not aware. This is not deliberate. Well, on behalf of that.
0: yeah, it, it's the it's the cozy relationship. Again, it's not that there is a guy twirling a must, you know, snidely whiplash twirling his mustache, showing up with a bag of cash. It's that this this, this interrelationship that is so profound, where people the regulators become executives in the company, the executive in companies become board members, or they become uh, uh, cabinet members in the government. So this this incredible incestuous relationship is is really what you're talking about but i think the 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 uh what's the word i'm looking for the the safeguard against it had always been good scientific training but hearing you talk right now reminds me of what happened to me when i was interviewing for medical school i was interviewing a medical researcher here in southern california and the, the interviewer looked at me and he goes, what's the scientific method? And I, I was shocked at something so simple being asked of me and I rolled through, you know, hypothesis, develop experiments, statistical analysis, and repeat, repeat, repeat theory. Uh, and he, you know, he, the guy was shocked that I knew the scientific method. He went, you're the first student to have answered the question with the actual methodology of science. That out of many thousands of interviews I have done, that was 1979, 1980. And I assure you it's much worse now because the sort of scientific method, the careful scientific method is really only taught in a few institutions. Like it's like Caltech, MIT, hopefully my college still, but it, it's not, you know, Harvey Mudd, it's just not routinely, what's, what's taught is narratives, you know, language classes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And and the influence of drug companies is incredible in medical school. I have a friend who is chief of her department at a school that I won't uh, at a major hospital. I won't say which one because I don't want to get her in trouble. But uh, she supervises residents, and her rule is that residents cannot see drug reps while they are under yeah. her supervision. Oh, for sure. And oh, sure. she tells me regularly that at some point in time, they're going to fire her for this. Now, can you imagine? Mm. You're, you're basically saying to medical students, I forbid you to have this outside influence that's pernicious and, un- and harmful. And the answer to mm. that is the school might fire her for doing this. I mean, this is how bad it has become. And so, if we're, going, if we're ever going to have a country back, if we're ever going to have a medical system we can trust, all of these things have to be addressed. We can't just sweep this under the rug as people take off their masks and go about their daily business right now and say, oh, thank goodness we're past the worst of it. We're not past anything yet. We have a lot of work to do to get past any of it yet.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And so that's the medical system and the public health system, a light sketch of those systems. Uh, government, what's, what's going on there generally? Is that the public health or is that just political expediency writ large?
1: Oh, it's, it's more and more power grab and outsourcing decisions to government and, and centralizing government. So when I was, in, I'm 65 years old. Today's my birthday, actually. So 65, 66, 66 years old today. All right, so I make it sound like I'm 127 but when I say these things, but when I was a kid in school, all school control was local. In other words, the principal was in charge of the building and the principal could fire teachers. And what was served in the cafeteria was under the jurisdiction of the cafeteria People who worked in the cafeteria, planned the menus and that sort of thing. Now, it went from local control to the board control to now it's all outsourced to federal control in terms of how the money is distributed, what you can serve in the cafeteria. You can't fire teachers anymore. Uh, I mean, there's a building in New York. I don't know if you know this. There's a building in New York. That's three or four stories. And that's where teachers go while they're working on firing. And the average time, even if they've sexually abused a student, is seven, eight years to fire them while they're on the payroll. Okay, so um, education, I mean, public education has gone downhill. College educations. I mean, when I went to college, you didn't get to if somebody said something you didn't like, there weren't any safe rooms with dolls and M&M's so that you could go. Soothe yourself because somebody said something you didn't want to hear. This is mollycoddling. It's turning it's turning intelligent people into nitwits. And uh, frankly, we see it here. We can't hire people right out of college here uh, at my company. We'd be out of business. I'd be living in my car if we did that. So uh, we have a lot to clean up in education to get people to the place where we demand something of them. Uh, we demand academic rigor. We demand that they learn to think. Uh, we make them accountable. Um, and, the, the, you know, so so that's that's a major factor here. Remember, these people in an undergraduate school, some of them go on to medical school. They're taught to be mollycoddled and comforted and to make sure that they engage in groupthink and anything else is offensive. Then we send them to medical school after that. That's where they're coming from. They have to have an undergraduate degree to get in. So um, yeah. we have, we have to clean that up.
0: And, and yeah, I'm sure you saw that NYU organic chemistry professor that got fired because he was too hard, and the guy was a textbook author. And uh, I, I, there was great pride with our with our organic chemistry. The average grade was a C plus, and that was the mean grade. And half went below, and half went above, and that's it. And you just right. killed yourself to get above. You just worked your ass off and mm-hmm. i the, the the fact that again we're bringing in people we're giving them prescription pads and scalpels who haven't been through that we should be very <laughs> concerned about that and then the first thing that jumped out of me the very first thing in the pandemic that that occurred to me was this centralization process that not mm-hmm. only government is more highly centralized but medicine is more highly centralized doctors are now part of large systems they're employees the the, the clinical pathways are handed down the the you know sort of parameters of what will will not be uh acceptable for you know, clinical interventions is set from on high and often really frankly just <laughs> could not be more wrong and outdated and the, and and just frankly misinformed and, and, and you know the standard of care uh is often something that's amiss i i can't tell you how many times in my career i've been standing against the standard of care and been proven right but it takes 10 years for the standard of care to implode i will just point only to the you know, the uh, Sackler family and the opioid crisis, and pain is the fifth vital sign, pain is what the patient says it is, pain controls what the patient says it is. And if you don't treat pain as aggressively as you treat uh, no pulse, you can be not just sued malpractice, but criminally and civilly taken to court because you are not adequately treating the pain. And that was all a sham. That was, and I knew it when it was happening, And uh, of course, all the regulatory bodies came after me, the Department of Mental Health, California Medical Association, Joint Commission Hospital Accreditation, VA, all my own hospital administration, all came down like a ton of bricks. Because why? Because a heroin addict was uncomfortable and his smiley face went to an unhappy face and I refused to treat their pain with an opiate. In heroin withdrawal, in heroin withdrawal.
1: And to take that a step further, Purdue and other opiate makers paid the Federation of State Medical Boards to change the guidelines, along with JCO. Mm. So we have that going on right now. The Federation of State Medical Boards is still an outside private entity, it's a foundation, is telling the medical boards how to manage medical doctors in their states, which is why you see in almost all 50 states, doctors getting in trouble for speaking out. And of course, this leads to the group think. It's designed to do that. So a doctor in a hospital or a medical institution sees a friend get in trouble. See what happened to that guy? He told the truth or that woman. She told the truth. Now her license is suspended yeah. or she's some friend yeah. like that. Well, that brings everybody in line, doesn't it? And so I'm oh, aggressively yeah. involved in defending doctors and health professionals. We have to get rid of that outside influence, or that will never change either.
0: Yeah, we we are very prone to freezing in place when we see anybody get into trouble or even hear about somebody getting into trouble. We we are afraid of the legal system. It's a sort of Damocles that hangs over our head at all time. We're afraid of the regulatory system. We just want to be doing our job. And the thought that that sword will come down terrifies us. And so we freeze and we froze at the beginning of this pandemic completely. Right. We, we froze and then we splintered. I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna um, bring Dr. Kelly Victory in here to continue the conversation. Um, uh, thank you for giving me, answering my questions. Kelly's got many as well. And so we will take a quick break and then bring it Dr. Kelly Victory. Thank you. Consumer price index yet again going up. Stock market in turmoil. What's our government doing to quell the surge of inflation that is gutting American families? Oh, yeah, they're spending more money and adding to the burden. Don't bury your head in the sand while your savings get decimated. It's time to do something about this. Visit birchgold.com. Now, I don't give investment advice, but you can visit birchgold, B-I-R-C-H birchgold.com. And, Birchgold Gold will send you a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Great people with almost 20 years of experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Don't let your savings lose value. Visit birchgold.com true and claim your free, no-obligation info kit from Birch Gold. You can own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account and birch gold will help you do it birch gold has an a plus rating with the better business bureau countless five-star reviews and thousands of satisfied customers check them out now visit birchgold.com drew and secure your future with gold do it now for a long time i've been talking about the holy grail of skincare, care and the amazing results that both susan and i have seen i'm a big fan of Genusel's silky smooth xv it's a moisturizer soaked right into my skin instantly And with its immediate effects, I saw fine lines and wrinkles visibly disappear within 12 hours. Susan loves GenuCell's vitamin C serum infused with the purest vitamin C, absorbs to the deepest layer of the skin thanks to GenuCell's proprietary skincare technology. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to GenuCell, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. And receive an extra 10 percent off at checkout when you enroll in their personal concierge at checkout that again is genucel.com slash drew g-e-n-u-c-e-l.com slash d-r-e-w the parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health well-being as well as longevity likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family dogs cats even horses in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7, a company founded by two guys who lost dogs to serious conditions, including cancer. Pet Club 24-7 has an incredible array of products, including a line of supplements for humans, such as the InForce Plus Corollius Versicolor and InForce first Versicolor with Reishi. My friend and colleague, Christina Ferrari, a cancer survivor herself, swears by it.
2: When I was diagnosed, the doctor in the emergency room told me,
0: P-E-T-C-L-U-B 247, Pet Club 247. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv.
2: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate of public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: And welcome, Dr. Kelly Victor. Kelly, before we go on here, my Facebook appears to have been um, hacked during this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, somebody is selling <laughs> Bitcoin on there. How, can you help us, Caleb, with that? <laughs>
1: It's not quite hacked. I'm it's someone, at it. They do this all the
0: time, where they make they copy your profile and make it look like you, so they, they can only trust people that have a verified badge. If you only trust the ones that have verified badges, I'll just then block them on there. Scams. I blocked them already. I saw it. <laughs> oh, all right, it, it, it's oh, a stu- I,
1: it took me like
0: 15 minutes to get there. He's already done it. <laughs> well, I, I, it's just it's up on my on my thread right now again. We're we're, we're definitely he's you know, he's got he's 30 years behind me and has a faster. Uh, Quick draw. <laughs> I know right. Drew's not offering free Bitcoin so, to people right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sorry about this. It, really, it looked kind of like a Nigerian prince kind of announcement. Like
2: Thanks huh. for Yeah, <laughs> it. yeah uh, somebody's technology. saying at least it could have hey, been Dogecoin. Welcome, welcome. get the birch Gold. <laughs> welcome Go ahead, to the show, Pam. Thank you so much thank for joining us, especially on your birthday. Happy birthday. I didn't know. Uh, thank you. That's terrific. You know, Drew and I talk about the, these things all the time. I certainly have seen the downward spiral in medicine for well before this pandemic. It's been going on for a couple of decades now. I spend much of my time teaching. And was very aware of this worrisome lack of critical thinking skills, uh, the lack of personal accountability, the fact that these residents and medical students are coddled, to say the least. They can't work more than you know ten or twelve hours without a break. You know, when Drew and I were training, you know, you went into the hospital on Friday morning and you left on Monday afternoon after you know a ninety-six hour mm-hmm. uh, shift, and that's how you actually learned how to manage uh, things. Right. Mm-hmm. So this has been going on for quite a while. What I hadn't seen prior to this pandemic and what I want to spend a few minutes talking about is the overwhelming censorship, the absolute ability to shut people down in their dissenting voices prior to mm-hmm. this pandemic robust vigorous debate was a cornerstone of medicine we did it with pride we had morbidity and mortality monthly you know conferences where you behind closed doors doctors would duke it out on the tough cases we openly spoke our minds and if people disagreed they disagreed and sometimes vigorously disagreed for the first time and that's really how you and I connected was because you became aware that I was being mercilessly censored. Uh, I have had multiple complaints against my medical license during the pandemic, all by the way, having nothing to do with patient care, always for things that I said on radio or television. Talk a little bit about your experience with that piece of it, because I know you're also, we wanna talk about some of the
1: lawsuits that you're involved in. I'm spending tens of thousands of dollars every month defending doctors and other health professionals. But even that is not new. When I opened my business in 1996, five days after I opened, a licensure board called on me. And we ended up in a five-year battle. This was about unlicensed practice. So in other words, these boards have been out of control for a long time. The state of Ohio was so intent on putting me away. I spent $160,000 and $1996 defending myself, and I won, all right? They they exhausted their rainy day fund and, and ended up in a lot of trouble as a result of what they spent going after me. So this is not new. It's just bigger, kind of continuing the theme from the first part of the show. Now it has gotten to the place where, as you said, the person doesn't have to have any relationship with you at all, no standing. Some of the doctors were defending. um, One had never made a social media post before. This is a wild story. One time, this guy sees something that he can't resist responding to with like two lines. It's not like a long dialogue or anything. Somebody in another state who never met him, has no contact, not a patient, didn't like what he said, called the medical board and said, You should open an investigation of this guy. And they did. All too willing to do it just because somebody else in another state who never met this guy. We have another one where somebody who knew somebody, this is a, not a medical doctor, it's a physical therapist, somebody who knew somebody told somebody who told a doctor that this person wasn't wearing a mask in the office. And that is the basis for the investigation. I mean, the, 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 it can be a daisy chain of people <clears throat> alleging something. And um, on all of these medical board sites and, and PT boards and nursing boards, they're all doing it they have this lovely language about how they have rigorously look through the complaints and they only pursue the things that are really a threat to public health and public safety. Well, how can a statement that somebody makes on social media be a threat to anybody? It, 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 just, it takes your breath away. So, um, so that's what's going on right now. And if we don't take care of this, it's one of the reasons why my organization has prioritized this particular issue. We are going to live in a country where the only information about health we're allowed to get is from government-run institutions where everybody dutifully repeats what they're told to repeat. There will be no independent opinions left, and we can't let that happen. It's just too important of an issue. So uh, to give you an idea of the size of it, I think that just to defend the people who are in trouble right now, we probably are going to have to spend $50 million if nobody else gets in trouble. It takes your breath away how big this is
2: yeah well you take the case that you know you and i are both uh, well aware of uh, dr Merrill nass up in oh. maine here's a physician who simply for talking about the importance of the eye drug ivm and hcq mm-hmm. uh, words i'm not supposed to say on air if possible just for talking about the importance of those drugs and prescribing them she not only had her medical license suspended but she was remanded to psychiatric evaluation before she could even apply to get her license back. This is a la right. North Korea type stuff. I mean, right. this is terrifying. They can send you to a psych hospital for saying something that they don't like. You know, Drew and I. I I'm uh, broadcasting from from California today. Drew's in California. I do not have a California medical license, but California passed AB twenty ninety eight, which fundamentally. Mm-hmm criminalizes a physician for saying the kinds of things that I am saying, for saying things that go against the narrative. Where does this stop? I mean, how, how are you fighting for these physicians? What's, what's the basis of the argument from a legal perspective?
1: Well, it depends on the situation. So in Oregon, we sued the medical board and the members personally for taking away a license without due process. A license, medical license is a piece of property. So you can't come take my house away from me and just walk up on the sidewalk and say, you're out of here. I'm in. They're not allowed to do it. But well, you can't do that with a medical license either. So we've sued them personally on that basis. Um, another thing that we're doing is just wearing them out. We've had several of these cases where you know these medical board members all have other jobs. So one of the things you can do is just say for every medical doctor that gets in trouble or nurse or nurse practitioner, whoever it is they're going after, we're going to do this dog and pony show where we fly in people from out of state. It costs tens of thousands of dollars to do this, but they sit there with their arms folded for you know, looking up at the sky for for five, six days. And um, in one state, um, they they were rattling their cages about, uh, we're going to go after doctors who support this particular doctor who's in trouble. And I put the word out, we'll do this for every doctor that gets in trouble. So these people were looking, you know, saying, well, we have other jobs. And if we have to sit here six, seven, eight days, I'm six more doctors, nobody will be employed, and they just started leaving everybody alone. So, the only way that this ends is with aggressive fighting back. And the biggest problem we have, really, is that health professionals think that they're going to logically, this makes logical sense, it just doesn't work, all I need to do is provide the right information to the lovely investigator who seems so friendly and then they'll understand what I'm doing and it's free speech and the whole nine yards and they usually bury themselves with the conversation. The other thing is there are a lot of lawyers working in this space who are not necessarily, they're well-intentioned, but they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And those are the hardest to clean up as the ones that where lawyers have messed it up a little bit. But uh, that's what we're doing. We're just spending our way to success. And unfortunately, that's what it's going to take.
2: Have you come against, you know, the, the Federation of State Medical Boards, in my estimation, is a huge part of the problem. As you said, they are a uh, an independent, they're a private organization. They are not a, a government uh, organization. In fact, it's hard to even find their mailing address, let alone uh, any much information about them. But they somehow ended up uh, advising all of the the state medical boards they really have been directing the state medical boards they've come out with these with these mandates or these these uh you know these statements about what they're going to do what do you know about the federation of state medical boards and how can they be unwound
1: Uh, i wrote about that 20 years ago it's been this is not new and they influence medical boards in other countries it's not limited to the united states they're funded by licensure fees and things of that nature, exam fees. They also get a lot of money from drug companies through their foundation, and some of it they take directly. The only way that we're gonna fix that, and I said, we've been wicked good at this, and that's good because we've won at the state level, but on some of these, we need to lose so that we can get into the court system outside the medical board, and then take this to the Supreme Court. And my opinion about this is, is that it'll be expensive to do this. I have another case right now in front of the Supreme Court, but. It'll be expensive to do it, but that's where the decision gets made. Who is in charge of the medical board and who should be in charge of the medical board is local. It's a state issue. The state legislature authorizes the medical board, the nursing board, the dietetics board, all of the boards, right? And so if you get this back to state control, Then you can do what I did in Ohio, which is, again, you spend your way to success. And then you go to the legislature and you say, look at this ridiculous mess that these people made that's costing everybody money now, licensure fees going up for everybody because of this mess that they created. And you can start to rein them in at the state level. And we can change the whole regulatory scheme. And we have a very unusual opportunity right now that we should take advantage of. And that is that the unlicensed health professionals, and for every licensed professional, there are 10 who aren't. I'm talking about naturopaths in states where we don't license them, like here in Ohio. I'm talking about herbalists and body workers and people that have been chased around by these boards for a long time. The naturopaths and the alternative healers are now on the same page as the licensed health professionals. And if I can just get 5% of all of them to give me $100 a year, I'll have $115 million a year to fight with these people, and I can win for that kind of money. I'm winning without it, but I'll tell you what, you give me that kind of money, and we will win and win and win and win. We can just beat the crap out of them, which is what you have to do. This is this is a, not a battle that's going to be handled by nice people. I used to be a nice people. I'm not anymore. Can't be a nice people and win <laughs> <nice> battles. <laughs> that, that ended two and a half years ago, right?
2: Well, it, you know, it, uh, Drew is far more um, charitable than I am with regard to letting mm-hmm. our fellow physicians off the hook on this. Um, I don't understand the behavior of some of my colleagues, the vast majority of my colleagues, Um, you know, we, I'm an anomaly. is an anomaly. We're willing to speak out and at least question the narrative, uh, ask the questions, bring to uh, the four different things that we are seeing patterns that don't make sense, uh, mandates that don't make sense. The vast majority of physicians aren't, and I think they are you know, complicit in this and have uh, frankly caused much of the, you know, we've brought this upon ourselves. Uh, it's perhaps mm-hmm. a conversation for another day. Um, a piece that I think is new, as I said, that I think has really driven this is the prevalence of social media. Uh, were it not yet, the media, the mainstream media, yes, is, is a huge component, but it's the Twitter and the Facebook and YouTube and all of that that I think has allowed, because it's taken censorship to a new level. You can absolutely deride, ridicule, censor, cancel somebody, destroy their lives, dox them, and then you know it's really scary. People will shut up. Um, Mm -hmm. we had a really great interview, um, a week ago with Robert Kennedy Jr. and talked about his new documentary, which by the way, was taken down yesterday. There was a coordinated assault on his SSL and his documentary was taken down. This is the United States. I mean, how is this happening? Who's driving well, and this I, in your estimation. And it's
0: one thing to say, yeah, I, I'm interested in Pam's answer to that, but the, the part that I find the most disturbing is that oftentimes with, if not the full support of, collusion with federal government officials,
1: mm-hmm. cabinet right. le-
0: level sorts of interaction, that that's the part that, you know, the First Amendment doesn't really apply to a private organization called Twitter. Uh, they can sort of do as they please, even though I do want to hear what Pam's uh, notions are. But when the federal government is colluding with them to take away right. First Amendment privileges, that's where we have just an unconscionable situation. Go ahead, Pam.
1: Right. right. Well, the, that's true. But, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, Kelly, when you mentioned that um, uh, you're disappointed in colleagues. All right. You know, the number one thing, there were Nuremberg trials for doctors in, in Germany. I don't know if people are aware of that. And you know what most of them said when they were on trial? I was following instructions. Following orders? I was
0: following right. orders, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there's a great book by Robert Marwell I read a few months ago about Mengele. Mengele was a well-respected doctor while he was at Auschwitz, and he was sending severed children's heads in formaldehyde to you know prestigious universities in Berlin. So this, again, not new, just happening again, because we haven't solved the problem that was left over from World War II. But we don't have a First Amendment anymore. The bright light in all of this, I don't know if you saw, but on Friday, I think it was, a judge ordered Fauci and several other federal government officials to to show up for an in-person deposition about this very issue, about the control of social media. Uh, by the federal government. And I'm sure that they'll try to appeal this and worm out of it, but I, I don't think ultimately they're going to be able to get out of answering for it. And this will be uh, the beginning, I'm hoping, uh, in addition to some things that we're doing, that will be the takedown of Mr. Fauci, who has been in that position without earning any position like this. He never was qualified for it, by the way. But now, clearly, he needs to go and he needs to be punished and, and Pam, for what Pam. he should.
0: But what What is it? What is it you surmise they did that, that people I'm, I'm watching my restream here and they're like, well, what about COVID? What happened to COVID? Why did this happen? They, there's a lot of uh, desire to see through the uh, the opaque, you know, p- past the looking glass here. Give us some insight to what you think went down.
1: Well, I think what happened is they decided they were going to use this pandemic, um, they being a big they. It's everything from the World Health Organization to there's a lot of evidence that this was planned in advance. Um, Moderna, I don't know if you read the dossier that I put together on uh, Peter Dazak that was the basis for the lawsuit we filed against Echo Health, but I found um, uh, a, an article was published in February of this year showing that um, the the peptide sequence that's in the virus, where the foreign cleavage site is, that that, that there's a perfect match with a Moderna patent that was right. filed in Correct. 2016 right? Yeah. So this was all planned. And so the only way that you can force people to get a vaccination is if you can convince them we're having a pandemic. They used a fake test. You can control all outside voices. Nobody gets to be heard unless you're really loud, like we all are, and you find alternative ways to reach an audience. Um, So you gin up a fake pandemic and then you gin up a solution to it. Um, Fauci's always been preferential to terrible drugs that hurt people. So when he Came out with remdesivir. I mean, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the HIV/AIDS thing, and um, was well aware of his uh, his shenanigans with the AIDS patients, right? So I wasn't surprised when that became the drug of choice, right? And I wasn't surprised when the pressure to uh, seek the solution, let's put it that way, under the EUA became the end game and it's made the drug companies quite wealthy and we really don't know how wealthy it's made some of the people in government but even if there's no direct payment one example i can give you of what happens if you're a good a good little soldier for the drug companies was the guy who introduced i can't remember his name right now who introduced the the uh, medicare part d you managed to get written into that um, uh, provision that you can't, the government cannot negotiate with drug companies on prices. They have to, whatever the drug companies want to charge, they have to let them charge it. He got a $2 million a year job with the lobbying firm for the pharma. It's called Pharma, a lobbying uh, firm that handles big pharma. So you get well rewarded if you are a good little soldier and you do what you're told. So it's a reward system that rewards this bad behavior that causes all this kind of stuff to happen.
2: Well, I don't know if you saw just you know last week, hopefully everybody knows by now, uh, the CDC decided uh, to add the COVID vaccines to the childhood vaccination schedule, uh, as was recommended by the 15 person quote, independent advisory board, the ACIP. Uh, and I firmly believe, uh, as does Robert Kennedy Jr. And, and certainly others, that the entire reason they've been pushing so hard to get that vaccine uh, onto the childhood vaccination schedule with absolutely zero evidence that it's, any child stands to benefit from it is because the vaccine manufacturers now will have blanket liability immunity in perpetuity as a result of the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. So they got it on the schedule uh, last week, Friday. Within minutes of that announcement, Pfizer's stock skyrocketed. Ab, their mm-hmm. stock price went up, you know, 300% within minutes of that announcement because everybody knows if you invest in Pfizer, you're investing in a company that can't be sued for any ill effect of the COVID vaccines. This is unconscionable. Uh, and, right. and how we can allow that to happen uh, is, is beyond me. And so somebody's getting very, very rich. By the way, they also at the same time announced, they being Pfizer announced that they were increasing the price of their vaccines. Now that it, as soon as it made it to the childhood schedule, they announced a an eighty percent price increase. I think it was. Um, so it it is really really corrupt business.
1: Uh, it is talk about what, okay. one little one little thing. I insert here. They we think that there there is an opportunity to sue, um, even with all the protections. And the reason is four different courts, a lot of people don't know this, but four different courts have ruled in four different cases that if there is malfeasance, all the protections under the PREP Act and everything go away. And so um, it's not something I'm ready to take on right at this minute because we got our hands full with this thing that we just filed against Echo Health. But at some point in time, we are probably going to take on vaccine makers as well. I think there's an opening to do that.
2: For, for the benefit of the folks listening, I would remind people that that Peter Daszak and EcoHealth uh, Alliance was the uh, corporate, or the nonprofit, quote unquote, through which Anthony Fauci funneled U.S. taxpayer dollars to the lab in Wuhan to conduct what clearly was gain of function research. Um, talk a little bit about what is your case against Peter Daszak and EcoHealth Alliance.
1: Yeah, so we sued. First of all, you're right. That's how the money went to Wuhan. And I don't really think anybody, I I read this morning, the odds that this did not come from a lab are like one in a hundred million, the odds, that's what they're saying. So so I've been right about that since 2020. Um, But in any case, we filed a lawsuit. It's a toxic tort lawsuit, which is interesting. This is a typical lawsuit that gets filed. So if DuPont uh, puts chemicals in the drinking water and people get sick, then you can sue them. All the people who got sick or cancer, whatever, can sue DuPont. So the first thing is that it's very difficult to throw this case out because it's not unique. This is filed, and this type of case is filed every day in the United States. Okay. So we filed against Echo Health, Peter Dazak, his wife, Janet Cunningham Dazak, Ian Lipkin, who is part of the cover-up at Columbia University and Ralph Barrick, who is at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. We filed against them a toxic tort claiming that they unleashed this thing on humanity. And as a result, there are six and a half million people, they say, who died of this virus, hundreds of thousands permanently injured, and um, and et cetera. So that's, that's the basis for the lawsuit. We filed it in federal court a couple of weeks ago. Um, Of course, usually what happens next is the motion to dismiss. Interestingly enough, um, they instead filed for a 50-day extension on Friday to respond. I consider that a pretty good sign on our side of the issue because usually they just can't wait to get into court and try to dismiss it. So um, we're we're optimistic about this, and uh, we believe we also filed as uh, some of the defendants were John and Jane Doe because we think that um, there are many other people who've been part of this whole conspiracy and cover up and everything else, and we believe that we'll end up naming them as um, as additional defendants, and that uh, there will be many, many, many more plaintiffs as well. So um, we're the first people to go after the big people behind this. In other words, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, everybody's filing lots of lawsuits, lots of good ones, lots of people representing people, but I wanted to do this. We worked on this for a year. It's a difficult case, but um, one advantage we had was a whistleblower who came out of ECHO Health and gave us a lot of their documents, which was very helpful. hmm mm-hmm.
2: You yeah. talked a little bit about this case. I think it's coming out of, I think it's Missouri. Uh, the case where uh, Anthony mm-hmm. Fauci and and I think six others have been uh, remanded to uh, to testify uh, under oath. Um, and it's it's uh, Deborah Burks and Walensky and uh, Fauci, a handful yeah. of them. Yeah. Yes. Where, where do you think that's? going to go? I mean, hey, Fauci is so slippery, you know, he's been asked, as, as you well know, in front of Congress multiple times by Rand Paul, you know, about the gain of function thing. And he always uh, obfuscates and manages to dodge things. And, and as far as I'm concerned, he's out perjured himself because he, he keeps claiming this wasn't gain of function and he wasn't involved when he clearly was. Where do you think this case in Missouri will go?
1: I think, that, um, I think that we have two really good AGs, uh, the AG in Missouri and Landry in Louisiana did this together. And I think that what's happening is the walls are closing in on Mr. Fauci. In other words, he's had his 40-year reign of terror where he's always, like you said, he's a slippery guy and he manages to tap dance and all that sort of thing. And he's used to dealing with Congress where he can lie and then just go back to the office and Go about his business, and if you notice, uh, you know I, I understand everybody's trying to do the best that they can. But but what's happened with Fauci and in, in Congress is basically theater. Get out your popcorn, sit down, watch people scream at Fauci, and then he squirms and he gets angry and he says he didn't do it. And then what happens? Months later, nothing happens, right? Well, sooner or later, most of the time, people who are doing bad things will escalate. This is how serial killers get caught. After they've killed people for 40 years, they they get careless, right? And then they get caught. Well, that's what's happening with Mr. Fauci and a lot of his cohorts. Is that they've gone too far this time, and they've they've made way too many people angry. They've hurt way too many people, and um, and you know we're just not going to let it go. If I have to sue him 100, if I have to file 150 more lawsuits to get him, I'm going to do it. And I don't think these AGs are going to back down either. So the bottom line is he's going to have to sit in a deposition and answer questions about his relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. What did you tell these people? And a lot of it's already been disclosed in emails. So we'll see how he's going to lie about what he has in writing, like the the, the emails. How do we decide?
0: How do we how do we understand that this was a worldwide phenomenon? That's a part that's somewhat yeah, know, aston- yeah. A, among many astonishing qualities, the fact that yeah. you know uh, that everyone followed. Was convinced by China. It seemed like the UK, well, the World Health Organization obviously was listening to China, but the UK and the and our health officials were as well. Which was they really, again, this is such an extraordinary. I, I talked mm-hmm. to somebody who was just the other day who was inside the White House when this was all going on, and he said there were certain people. I I don't they weren't operatives. I don't think he said they just decided you had to do this one thing. It reminds me of of people that. Uh, and on the mental health front, we try to talk about alternatives to treating opiate addiction, they go, there's one treatment. He said they would get red in the face and start screaming and would just become grit their teeth and would not be open to any conversation other than you don't understand. Mm-hmm. This is how it is. We have special information and insight, and this is how it's going to go. Th- that's the part that scares me, that they were in a position to do that. And they were that- there were people that were that poor in their decision making.
1: Right. And also people who were not, unable to read the medical literature. I mean, we had Scott Atlas right. speak at our conference yeah. last year. And he, he sat in front of the group, and he wrote about this in his book, that he asked Deborah Burks the first day he was in the White House, what what study convinced her that everybody needed to wear a mask? And she brought up this case report about a beauty salon in Texas. A case report? And it's a, and it's a bad one. I mean, go if you read it, it's a bad right. one. I would never rely on something like <laughs> yeah. that. And, and, and yeah. he was dumbfounded. Um, he said not one time did he ever show up in a meeting where Birx or Fauci brought medical literature in, articles to, to talk about. He always showed up. So you've got a couple of people who are just in control of 337 million people who are just making stuff up as they go along. and Everybody's kowtowing to them, right? So it's the incompetence reaching very high levels. The incompetence we're seeing at local level for health professionals and for um, institutions, and I mean it's all the way up. So so that's part how, of how
0: I, I agree. I, I'm beginning to understand that incompetence is a major role in all this, and and a lot yeah. of it on the the local and state level is just ridiculous. But but how how do they do? do they literally. I am just thinking about school closures, for instance. Uh, I was on the on a television broadcast that night when the L.A. Unified School District decided to close down, and I I kept I kept hammering the guy like, "What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Right. Who told you?" And in fact, the CDC and Fauci had not said to do it at that point, because I kept saying, "Is the CDC telling you to do this? No, they're not. We just think it's the right thing to do." Mm-hmm. Eventually, they did. Uh, do they delude themselves into believing that by championing th- something like school closures, they were not the source of the mandates that these, the governors eventually picked up and the school unions eventually delivered? Do they really believe in their heart that they were not part of that, that it was all done locally and state on a state level, even though they were the sort of the source of the information that the state was using to make their decisions?
1: Well, I think you had a bunch of power-hungry people. Right. I mean, the behavior of health authorities, I, you know, when you go back to the 1976 flu made-up pandemic, five cases, and it's a pandemic. The CDC had a war room, five cases, had a war room with doctors staffing phones 24 hours a day waiting for the case number six, all right, with a, with a vaccine. We're going to give every person in the country a vaccine. You're talking, you, it was incompetent then. It's worse. That's a, an episode of incompetence. When there were five cases of what we now call AIDS in the United States, Fauci declared a, a pandemic, there were emails going back and forth, oh my gosh, it's our opportunity. This, they look at this as opportunity. And all you got to do is give them a little media attention and a little right. bit of power. And, and so I remember, that just to tell you what we had going on in Ohio, you won't believe this story, but Amy Acton was the public, uh, head of public health in Ohio. <laughs> She made up a story. I wrote about this in my book. She made up a story about being homeless and food insecure. Her mother finally came public and said she that never happened. She made it up. On her medical license, she had drug and alcohol problems were listed, and that doesn't disqualify her from holding a medical license, but lying about your background certainly should. The day that she locked down Ohio, she was smiling for the cameras. If you saw this, it's bizarre. It's like she said, a, a book signing at Barnes & Noble. I mean, having the time of her life, here she is, Amy Acton from Northeastern Ohio, Uh, who's got the power of 11 and a half million people right under her uh, thumb. And she enjoyed it. And um, she would cry every day on air. I mean, she was quite the actress uh, showing people how to make masks out of uh, uh, spare uh, uh, scraps of material at home. It would make your head hurt to watch this. It just would make your head hurt. And the, the governor eventually purged anybody from the press corps who asked her any questions because she couldn't answer them, right? So they they everybody who showed up was a sycophant, who was willing to listen to her dribble every day and report it to the public as if it was the gospel. And so um, it, we're, we're talking about gross incompetence that became worse as people got fame and fortune from it. You know, they want to name a street after her in Columbus. I'm, I'm going to move out uh-huh. of the city if they do that. I mean, it, it just... No, I... I can't uh-huh.
2: I think I think you can't underestimate that component of it. If I put on my psychologist hat, I think the number of people who glommed onto a little bit of power and fame uh, and and sort of you know limelight during this, um, you know the, the guys who were dumping sand in skate parks in California. These are people who sat around and and hatched up ideas and had the authority. All of a sudden, they have the ability to, to, you know, you're letting me, I can get the backhoe and fill up this thing with sand and feel really important. You know, all you have to do is watch the guys at TSA at the airport. These are people who have, you know, high school degrees at best. Who get a badge and a and a uniform and just really like this newfound authority. So I do think that that's a component. Pam, there are a lot of people who would never have been on the pulpit, would never have had a microphone in their face uh, ever, who all of a sudden are saying this is really cool and I'm making decisions on the fly and, and I like this. This feels really right. good. Uh, well, and but they, to they may like. They it also they also
0: get very angry when you. Push back. That's the part that I find sure. astonishing. We had oh, yeah, the the, yeah. Uh, uh, the operations director here at the brand new stadium for the Ram Stadium uh, for the Super Bowl was saying, "We we got your number. We see you. We're co- right. if you b- b- take a, po- a, po- a box of popcorn and take your mask down and eat it for ten minutes, we know what you're doing. We're looking for right. you. Who the f are you, sir, to be policing?" The, right. the the citizens of the city who want to enjoy a football game with their kids. It It is, right. I myself had it happen. I was at my own hospital uh, trying to get the vaccine. I wanted to get the vaccine, in the early days of the vaccine. And I was screamed at that I had the wrong papers. I mean, it was a t- right. 24-year-old young man in a uniform, clearly just acquired the uniform, was screaming at me about the wrong papers. And I thought, I had two thoughts simultaneously. One was, do you, you enjoy this talking to a senior mm-hmm. physician like this number one and number two it reminded me of a a border crossing in a world war ii movie and I, and I always wondered how people got like that and there it was and by the same time i spoke to some governors friends of mine th- these governors are friends who were not of that persuasion and they were deeply troubled that they were being forced to Put a mask mandate in to to mandate anything they're like that' that wasn't why I became a governor I didn't become a governor to tell people how to live their life. It's anathema to my instincts, not to everybody evidently
2: right. but that and well, that's it this country's been cloven in two because. They have co-opted this very human you know th- this, this part of human nature that certain people will absolutely gravitate to that authority. It's where you know we launched this entire new term so Karen, uh during this mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. Uh, all of these people yeah. who, who, who otherwise d- had no authority, but somehow are empowered that they can yell at you in the target for going the wrong way down the aisle and feel really mm-hmm. virtuous
1: that they're doing it. One of the th- mm-hmm. stories I'll share with you is a friend of mine, client of Wellness Forum, actually in England, in the UK, and he walked into, this is when they were first starting to let people out a little bit. He walked into an empty store, all right? And it's one of those places, we would call it a convenience store here, and they had a place where you could ship stuff, right? So he walks in and he goes right over. He's the only person in the store except for the store clerk who's at the cash register. He goes over to the shipping area to ship this package, all right? And she makes him go outside and come back in and walk on the arrows around the store to get to the package area. Yeah, so perfect. to your it's just somebody right. who's gets a power trip. I'm going to make you follow the rules, right? And so it's almost like a mm-hmm. form of contagion where people start, um, it, 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 people catch on to this type of behavior and it becomes like a, a form of groupthink. So I think the the lesson here is that regular everyday people can become part of this terrible groupthink. That happens right. in medicine. It happens in government. Everybody just gets swept up in the moment. We wanted all going want to be heroes. There was so much reward, too. Did you notice how the news media was always pointing out some tireless person who's wearing her mask and at the hospital saving lives? And, you know, so they made it a virtuous thing to become right. like this, This uh, I don't even know what to call people who get into this, but you know what I'm talking about. It was virtuous to sure, be part sure, of this sure.
2: And- I want to spend the last few minutes if I could talking to you about really something perhaps more positive which is where, where we take this where it, where it helps us to actually um re you know redefine medicine you were talking before we went on the show that you were just down in Texas at a new uh, medical clinic and um, yeah. we you the group that you know you and I are some of the groups you and I are involved in talk about this concept of a parallel medical system that's going to end up coming out of this debacle that we call COVID. Uh, Talk just a little bit about where you see physicians and healthcare and medicine going that's positive, that's going to come out, you know, the phoenix rising from from the ashes of
1: COVID. Well, I'm excited about the future. I mean, I couldn't get up and and do what I do every day to solve this problem if I didn't think we were going to end up in a better place. So here I am, I'm in my mid-60s. I've been hearing about government reform my whole adult life. I didn't see any government reform, education reform. I don't see any. Medical reform, I don't see any. This is the chance to really reform it. And it's already started. Look at all the people who pulled their children out of school. Look at some of the people who I think are on their way out of government right now. But in terms of medicine, what I want to see happen, and I think we're beginning to see the signs of this going to happen, is um, I remember when I was a kid, we had a family doctor family doctor took care of my sister and I and my mother and my father, my maternal grandparents, my aunt, uncle and five cousins. We all live pretty close to each other. And that doctor was a trusted, valuable person in our community. I respected him. My parents respected him. And he was independent nobody told him what to do. There weren't any insurance companies and that sort of thing telling him what to do. And um, and he knew our family. We're going to go back to that. We're seeing people flee medicine. And many of those people are going to find out that they can set up their practices. We, have, we own a school. We train health professionals, by the way. We've never been busier than we are right now with people who are fleeing mm. medicine and saying, I want to be in practice for myself. And um, and I, I'm very excited about this. We're going to go back to a network of independent doctors who do what their conscience tells them to do and have relationships with their patients. And this is what we need in medicine. And eventually, I've, I've been working on this for years because I intend to start my own healthcare system. Not right now, but I'll, I'll work on the DASX of the world first and then I'll do it. But my calculations that I did about uh, 12, 13 years ago is if you withdraw about 10% of the revenue from the medical system right now will collapse on itself, 10%. People think you have to have like half of the hospitals closed or whatever. You only have to have 10% of the revenue pulled out, and it's on the way to happen right now. Uh, it is happening right now, and the system will collapse on itself. And I saw this a few weeks ago. I want to say it was maybe at the beginning of October, a hospital in Missouri closed. They shipped their patients to two other hospitals in the area. Um, they had too many lawsuits. Nobody was working there. This, this, the hospitals are devastated. Medical centers. People who refused to get the shot and um, had to had to leave, and so they had to close. And that's going to be you're going to see that happening everywhere. And I don't. People are always worried about disruption, and it's not fun. But without disruption, you can't fix anything. And this is our chance to mm. fix stuff. And I'm. I, before they put me in the ground, we I will see the return to independent practice. We'll be we'll see the return to restrained government. We're going to see the return to education systems that demand excellence, and we're going to see these media giant media companies completely discredited and brought down. I believe. How long? Believe
0: How long is it going to take? How long? How long do I have to wait? <laughs> Whatever you do, don't get the vaccine. Okay.
1: Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right. So so here's what I tell yeah. people in answer to that question. Right. So. It took many decades and little tiny steps in this direction that were almost imperceptible, yeah. which is how we got here. Because yes. if they'd been big enough yes. to get somebody's attention, we could have stopped it then, right? So what's going to happen right. is it's a whole bunch of little things. So we get this doctor's license back. We get a mask mandate. You know, the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania said no masking of kids in school. We get the we are the people who got rid of the Vax Passport in New York City and Boston. So you're seeing a lot of organizations like us and us out there. This little victory, this little victory. This family pulls their kids out of school. Another one over here does it. And this is the dismantling of the system. I know what everybody wants is they want to wake up next Tuesday. Fauci's arrested at 9. Burks is arrested not, at Not everybody.
0: That's what I want. That's what I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, by, and by the way, it reminds me of, reminds me of uh, an old saying about uh, uh, bankruptcy. How do you go bankrupt? Very slowly and suddenly. then suddenly.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you kind all of right. go slow, another, slow, slow, slow.
0: And then all of a sudden you're there.
1: Then three o'clock in the afternoon, we open the champagne. It's back to 2019, right? That's not how this is going to happen. It's going to be a long, hard road. And I've, I've said this only half kidding. I'm planning to live to be 100. My last day on the planet, I'm going to be in court in the morning. Then I'm going to come to the office and help sick people. I'm probably going to teach a class that night and go to bed and just not get up the next morning. And I'm only half kidding when I say that I am going to live to be 100, but um, I probably will <laughs> be in court. Good. Last we day need you
2: till planet. 100. <laughs> well, I, I, you, yeah. well, it's interesting because when, they, when the announcement came out last week about the CDC adding the vaccines to the childhood immunization schedule, my comment to, to the folks I was with was they may have just given the greatest boon to homeschooling. And charter schools that we've ever seen. I think it may just be the thing. Uh, And to be clear, the CDC has zero legislative authority. The decision whether or not to add these vaccines or make (laughs) them mandatory for children to uh, attend public schools is still left up to the states, to be clear. But the reality is that most states uh, will go along with the recommendation of the CDC and the issue about uh, the the blanket immunity still stands. But I think that this may be the thing that finally drives people to say, I'm not doing it. Enough is enough. I'll do what I need. I'll make the sacrifices I need to make to coordinate with my neighbors, my friends, whoever. And we're taking our kids out of the school system. So from your lips to God's ears, I hope Pam that that's where we're going with the healthcare system as well.
1: I believe it is. And if I I thought this was not a solvable problem at my age, I can just, retire and wait and and find interesting things to do. There are places I could go. If I didn't think this was solvable, I wouldn't be working on it 18 hours a day, right? So I believe it's a solvable problem.
2: How do people support your efforts? You know, you're putting tremendous amounts of of money into defending physicians, which I think is critically important because we have got to push back on this or, you know, tyranny is gonna be uh, a a really gentle word for what's about to happen if we don't defend the only physicians willing uh, to engage in critical thinking and to push back against the narrative and to do what's best for their patients. How can people support what you're doing?
1: Okay, great. So the first thing is makeamericansfreeagain.com. Makeamericansfreeagain.com is our nonprofit website. We are 501c3. You can go there and donate. If you're a healthcare professional, you can sign up for our Healthcare Professional Defense Fund. At, at the, you'll find the forms there. You can also read the DASAC lawsuit. Tomorrow it'll be posted. That's kind of interesting reading as okay. well. Um, my email address, pampopper@msn.com. Feel free to email me. I put out a newsletter every Monday, videos Tuesday through Friday. That's all free. All right. So you can sign up for free stuff and stay informed about what we're doing. Uh, so feel free to email me. And um, uh, if you'd like to start a Make Americans Free Again group, it's the best thing ever. I rely on my group for everything. I mean, we, 17 people have gotten a job in my group, many of them healthcare professionals, <laughs> right? Um, we have homeschool mentorship programs in the groups. We, have, we save small businesses. We had, we had a six-acre community garden this summer. We grew enough right. food to feed everybody in the group. Yeah. So so the groups are involved in raising money, but also making local life livable. So if you're interested in that, please send me an email as well. Fantastic.
0: Well, there we go. Uh this is it is fantastic. It's mean, interesting, interesting conversation. And uh, just if I can throw my own personal uh sort of support into the ring, I, I have this I had this extraordinary experience in, in medicine straddling Private practice, hospital practice, psychiatric hospital practice, addiction medicine, and I, I have some. I because of that, I had an experience in my clinical across forty years in my clinical life that it just isn't being had. It just no one's had it. it. It's no one's. No one has had it, and no one's having it for sure going forward. But even back in those days, to be an internist live a full internal medicine practice and live in a psychiatric hospital world and see how that's all working. I I believe I have some insights that might help you when things kind of uh, need a reordering, let's say, (laughs) because there's there's lots and lots and lots of just despicable uh, shortfalls in the system. And if it's if you don't attend to the the, the, particularly, this relationship between mental health and and physical health and and medical practice and how they how we operate, it it it's just going to be this you know, it's going to be a more problems possibly. So please, if I, we can be of help in any way, and and I know Kelly's had a very interesting clinical experience; she may have her own sort of insights. The I'm, yeah. I speak on your behalf. I think when I say we'd be happy to you know, absolutely,
2: help you
1: out. absolutely. Now, oh. thank you we may, we'll call it any suggestions that you have, anything you think we should be doing. I'm all ears. I just want to do this thing, get it right. And we well, restore our country. I, I,
0: I'm more, I'm more thinking about what you're going to do once things start um, collapsing. Like you say, you know, what, what are the priorities? How do you do right. this? How do you get, right. you know, all the pieces of the puzzle together? And there's, there's a lot of stuff that gets left out these days that has got to be sort of addressed in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, not the least of which is, you know, chronic mental, mental illness, custodial care, right. these kinds of things that, you know, and and what is psychiatry and how does it work anymore? <laughs> and
1: so, right. so right. I have
0: ideas about sure that. You know, at
1: least, least advantaged people. I mean, we'll all be fine in healthcare no matter what, right? We get sick, we know who to go to, but there's so many people who are slaves to the system because they don't have the economic capacity to look beyond the system. And that's something we have to be very concerned about.
0: Yeah, very much All so. Right. Well, thank you very much, Pam Popper. Again, the website, do you want to yeah. give us that? I don't see it. Uh...
1: Yep. MakeAmericansfreeagain.com. Wellnessforumhealth.com is my company's website. We do train health professionals who are looking for Opportunities outside the system, and we're, we're supporting. Um, my, my, main, uh, my main thing that I do all day long really is make Americans free again. So go there, help us out, start a group, donate, join if you're a healthcare professional. We do have to solve this problem.
0: And Kelly, thank and happy you as always. Again.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes, happy so birthday, was, Pam. I'm absolutely. Birthday, working on freeing the country. Actually, what better way to spend your birthday? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah i agree Aww. and uh kelly and i will be back together next wednesday not this wednesday i don't know that we have a guest uh next wednesday cooked yet no, no a week from a week from this wednesday susan right right in, yes in the second essentially eight days November mm-hmm. 2nd. second. Second. I, I will be in here tomorrow taking calls. We'll do that for an hour. I'm also speaking to Nicole and Jemmy. She has a new book out. Nicole is a uh, autopsy technician. She has a brilliant website. Uh, let's see, Mrs. MRS underscore and Jemmy If you want to see some interesting path specimens, and she has uh, <laughs> she has this thing called the gross room where she stumps everybody with this. Not pathology. for the faint of heart. Not for the faint of heart. She I wanted Kelly to be on the show and meet her. Oh, we'll bring her back. We'll bring her back. She has, But we, we tried to rush her in because the book is coming out. But I, I'll bring Nicole back anytime. And she she does sometimes, she'll show us specimens and try to stump us. She'll give us the case, show us specimens and go, what is that? And uh, it's a lot of fun.
1: How did we, this we, person die? Yeah, how
0: did this person die? Or what was yeah. this? And, and she has uh, medical it's disgusting. obscura. Uh, she's <laughs> in, into the obscure path, pathologically. And so it's fun. But anyway, Kelly, thank you I so much. You got to go get the horses. It's our I Halloween suspect. special.
1: Because we won't be back until after Halloween. <laughs> oh,
2: no, I, yeah. I, I'm in I'm in sunny Southern California. Well, today, you're here. That's, so right. A, That's right. I have That's a, right. a reprieve from the four leggers. Um, and I'll see you next Wednesday, November 2nd.
0: Next Wednesday. All right. Absolutely. Thank okay. you for coming in early. Thank you, Dr. Pop- to Pam Popper. And uh, we will see you all tomorrow at 2.30, coming in a little early tomorrow for so I can do Nicole and then take calls from everybody. We'll come in at 2.30 tomorrow uh, with Nicole and Jemmy and then your call. See you then. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only.